0: Well, good morning, everyone. So good to be back with you today after a way too brief vacation. <clears throat> but I did miss you guys. Hopefully you missed me as well. I want to say first off a thanks to those who filled in, uh, Dr. Joe Grana, uh, who preached a few weeks ago, Chaplain Brian Harris, who preached two weeks ago from uh, Vandenberg Air Force Base, and then last week, our new pastor of discipleship and small groups, Jonathan Gray. Jonathan will be officially starting his uh, his duties as, a, as one of our pastors on staff on September 5th, and I also want to let you know that we've had a lot of progress made on our search for a family life pastor, someone to oversee our children's and youth ministries, and we should hopefully be going to have some real big updates on that coming over the next few weeks. If you would please remain standing for the reading of God's Word, we've got to get into God's word today and find some guidance for this crazy world we are finding ourselves in. In the book of Philippians, the Apostle Paul is writing to a rather young church, a group of a lot of new Christians, and he's writing some very practical instructions for them in how to navigate in the world as newer believers in Jesus and the things they were facing. This is what he writes. Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. Do everything without grumbling or arguing or posting on social media. Okay, it's not in the text, but that's what Paul meant. (laughs) Do everything without grumbling or arguing so that you may become blameless and pure, children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation. Then you will shine among them like stars in the sky as you hold firmly to the word of life. And then I will be able to boast on that day of Christ that I did not run or labor in vain. But even if I am being poured out like a drink offering on the sacrifice and service coming from your your faith, I am glad and rejoice with all of you. So you too should be glad and rejoice with me. Father God, may you honor the reading of your Word today with hearing, with understanding. Lord, I pray for not only your instruction, but insight from your Holy Spirit in how to live, how to to shine like stars in the midst of a warped and crooked, or in some translations, a wicked and perverse generation. Lord, we need your help. The news feeds are full of discouragement. The things that we see taking place in society, the things we know happening in our own lives and the lives of those we love, Lord, can be so overwhelming and so devastating. Lord, we need wisdom, insight, strength from you. We need spiritual power to stand strong, to stay faithful, to overcome. And Lord, I pray that our time in worship and our time in your word will will give your Holy Spirit the avenue to sink deeply into our hearts and our minds to teach and to instruct us. Lord, give us the, the encouragement that we need. Father, I ask for those who are here today in, these, in this place, in these moments, that your Spirit will work, bring glory to yourself as Jesus is lifted up and as your truth is brought to bear on our lives. Lord, for those who watching now or even at a later date, I pray your spirit also will speak to them in a fresh and a powerful way with wisdom and insight, conviction of sin, correction of wrong thinking or wrong behaviors, Lord, and more conforming to your son Jesus, who is our Savior and our Lord. But for those of us who are just discouraged and we're, we're struggling Lord, I pray for a fresh filling of your spirit to bring joy and hope and power, steadfastness and assurance in the midst of all the chaos we may be facing personally or that we see around us. As always, Lord God, I ask for my words not to get in the way of your word, but for you to work, to speak, to bring glory to yourself as Jesus is lifted up as our Savior, as our Lord, as our only hope, Father God. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. So good to be with you today. I want to say a very special welcome to those who are joining with us online. And especially wanted to say thanks for being with us today and being a part of the Oak Park families. We're so honored and so glad that you are here with us today. Remember, you can participate in today's service by texting in comments, questions, prayer praises, or prayer requests to 805 We look forward to hearing from you. Well, if you are paying attention at all, most likely you are either at best slightly frustrated with the way things are going in our society, or at worst, you are absolutely horrified and you are just under this conviction that the world is coming to the end and Jesus is going to return any moment because it can't possibly get any worse than it is. (laughs) Now, I can understand both perspectives because I vacillate between them both as well. There's one day I'm feeling strong and courageous, and I'm like, the, the gates of hell will not prevail against Christ's church. And this is our opportunity to serve and to be light in the world and to do good works and to really show the power of God. Get, get your dander up. You're ready to go. ready to do something for God's kingdom. And then other days, I sit there and I spend way too much time on Twitter or Facebook, which I'm pretty, I'm pretty convinced that's just flat-out sin anymore nowadays, but... You watch, you look at the news feeds and it's like, oh my God, how much longer? How much longer will this perversity that we're seeing just Im- Im- embedded into our culture, how long will that perversity be allowed to continue? Our children are being warped by an ideology that is sexualizing them and wanting to sexualize them basically from birth. That is evil. That is demonic. If you trace back the history of religions, every pagan religion from the beginning of time has had a special animosity towards children. And we think, oh, we're so civilized and we're so sophisticated because, oh, we don't sacrifice our children on altars anymore. We don't burn them and sacrifice to the gods. Well, we do. We just do it in different ways. Every pagan religion... One of the definitions of being a pagan religion is that it is, it is, is abhorrent in the things they do to children. That's what we're doing. We're seeing in our own country the rule of law upended. We're, we're seeing civility and discourse completely eradicated. There's so many things that are attacking us. And as Christians who have been through the last, some of us, the last few decades, we see a decidedly downward spiral. In our country. And oh, we can get discouraged and we can get upset and we can wail and cry and lash out. We can grumble and complain. But Scripture says not to do that. Scripture says to stand strong. Being a being from the perspective of history, that helps us out a little bit. We always think things have never been this bad, or never or they're not, they can get worse. Well, let me tell you: yes, they can. And yes, they will. Isn't that encouraging? If you just read any history at all, the inhumanity of people to people is front and center on every page of history. And every generation of Christians from the first century, from the time in which Jesus lived and died and rose again, every generation of Christians has struggled in how to uphold the truth of Jesus, to present the truth of Jesus, to advance the truth of Jesus into their culture. And then to live out the principles and the teachings of Jesus regarding ethics and morality and, and so much else, right and wrong and goodness and all this, to live out the teachings of Jesus. Every generation has struggled. Every generation has faced the onslaught of a culture that at its core is opposed to the rule of God. Now, it's important to remember, as we can very easily lean to grumbling and complaining and wringing our hands, we've got to remember that it is God himself who decides and ordains when and where people live. It is God who decides when we live, when we die, where we live, what age we are born in. And that means that God has specifically, specially ordained us to be alive at this time, in this place, in these moments. Representing his reign and rule amongst, amongst a kingdom, the kingdom of this world, that rejects and rebels against his rule at every turn. But God has us here on purpose, for a purpose. That's to live for Him. So God has ordained, thankfully, that we get to live at the beach. That's pretty awesome. (laughs) But it's bigger than that. We have a purpose. And every similar assembly of the people of Jesus around this state, around this country, and around the globe is here for such a time as this, as cultures decline and as cultures uh, struggle with so much, so, so many wrong influences and so many wrong directions, God has placed us as his believers, as his followers here for a reason and a purpose. Now, we do have, compared to history, we have a unique challenge that the previous 2,000 years of Christians... Have not faced. Every generation of Christians preceding us became Christians and lived as followers of Jesus in a culture, in a society that was either pre Christian or slightly Christianized. There is no such thing as a Christian culture. There is no such thing as a Christian nation either. Only people can be Christians. Christian is not an adjective. It's it's a name for a person. <laughs> but the cultures that came before, the, the cultures we read about in the scriptures, when these young Christians learned about Jesus and chose to follow Jesus and lived for Jesus in the first century, they were in pre-Christian cultures. As the gospel advanced, The influence of Christian beliefs and teachings and principles began to, to, to become a critical mass. But we, living now in Europe and America, we are the first post-Christianized generation. We live in the first modern post-Christian society. Now, Europe is still about 20 years ahead of us. Canada is about 10 years ahead of us in their cultural declines. The U.S. is not far behind. So we have a unique perspective that the other generations of Christians didn't face. They were all fighting to to win over a culture. We are looking to either regroup or to win back a culture. Now, a Christianized culture or a Christianized society That is a status that is deemed when the majority of the population is not necessarily Christians because that's never truly been the case of just about any country. But a Christianized culture is one where the basic principles or the basic worldview or the understandings of the Bible are embraced by most people regardless of their personal faith or not. We are the first modern generation where the absolute overwhelming majority of our population does not hold, does not adhere to, does not accept as true the basic biblical teachings of reality, of the world, of sin, of the nature of God or anything else. This is the cause of our culture so rapidly unraveling and becoming unmoored from reality. This is the ideology that is just pervasive now. It is disconnected from the real world. So what exactly is a biblically-based worldview? Now, one thing important you gotta remember, understand, this is a two-part message series. So today we get part, and next week we finish this off. So if you are not planning on being here next week, you need a note from your doctor. <laughs> it's got to be signed. It's got to be authenticated. It's got to be on my desk by Wednesday. No, I'm just kidding. But understand, this is a two-part. So we're covering some foundational stuff this week. We get into the nitty-gritty of our cultural wars next week with some real specific stuff. So it's it's, it's, book, it's a book, and you've got to go with both. So we'll just understand that. Today, some of the foundational stuff. What exactly is a biblical worldview? Every single person has a worldview. It's basically how you view the world. It's your operating system through which you process experiences and information and all of that. It's the basic presuppositions we have that we hold that we're usually not even conscious of. Just for a couple of examples, we all have a basic grid through which we put through stuff. All right? Who here believes in Bigfoot? Raise your hand. Really? Man. Thanks, Rick. I got Rick. All right. Who believes in aliens? Raise your hand. All right. Who watches ancient aliens? I'm just kidding. (laughs) That's an old joke we don't do. All right. Um, When you first hear about uh, somebody, um, somebody telling a, a, a fanciful story that seems unbelievable. Is your gut reaction to believe or to disbelief? Disbelief. Ah, good, we're all, we're all you know, nice and good American skeptics on that, right? Um, it, the list goes on and on. A worldview is how we basically interpret We're automatically going to be predisposed to believing in aliens or rejecting aliens, believing in Bigfoot or denying Bigfoot's existence. I freak freak so many people out because I believe in Bigfoot, but I don't believe in aliens. I believe in Bigfoot because I'm from the Northwest. But anyway, that's a different story. Billy will edit that part out of the, the, the video. But we have basic presuppositions about the world. Um. Are people basically good or basically rotten? That's part of our worldview. It's a presupposition we have. When somebody does something nice and good and kind, are they acting out of their character or are they acting against their nature? We we already determine that, how we interpret when people do that. So a worldview is the basic presuppositions that we have, which may be true, partially true, or entirely false, that we hold, either consciously or unconsciously, consistently or inconsistently, through which we evaluate new information and experiences. A worldview is the foundation of how we think and how we act. As people who now live in the 21st century in America, our worldview has been shaped by, by the forces that have come before. For the West, the Protestant Reformation in Europe in the 16th century sparked widespread intellectual engagement and exploration of the Bible. The, the, the Gutenberg, Gutenberg Printing Press was able to p- publish the Bible for the masses The Catholic Church had withheld publication of the Bible to keep it from the masses, but the Protestant Reformation helped enable everyday average people to have access to the scriptures. And that just exploded upon the world, a new exploration of the Bible, and that's what led to the birth of modern science. Because they saw a God who had created the world, a God of order who had created the world, and that if the world was ordered by God, they wanted to find out the order of the world so that they could glorify God and give Him more praise. That's that's how science started. So it goes through the, the 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 Protestant Reformation, which then led to the Enlightenment and the exploration of uh, of all sorts of scientific ideas and philosophical advancement. Those things then met, led into what was phrased as modernity, the modern world. We had amazing advancements in technology and philosophy and medicine and science and all of these things. And the, the modern world was built, and the modern world is where, is where you know, America came from, and the West was really defined in that. And in this, in this world that was defined by these things, biblical truth permeated much of moder- modernity's worldview. That doesn't mean everybody was Christians. It just meant that the basic assumptions about the world were very much in line with how the Bible presents reality. Modernity in the last few generations has given way to post-modernity, post-modernism. Post-modernism was actually very short-lived. It was a rejection of some of the things of modernism, but it didn't have a lot to, suspend, to sustain itself. And now we are actually in a, in a, we're careening into a new category that the, that, the, that the scientists and the social studies people doing this, they haven't figured out what exactly we're in yet. We're just simply basically in a quagmire. And it's undefined as of yet. We've left behind modernity. We've adapted some things of post-modernity. And now we're in a free fall philosophically and science, science, uh, scientifically and intellectually. We see a lot of upheaval in the world. The moving away from a biblical worldview was not because it isn't true and not because it doesn't work, because it is true and it does work. The movement away from a biblical worldview came because while people embraced the worldview, they did not embrace the God behind the worldview. And that led to a hole, that led to a vacuum. It it led to to a, a hole in people's lives and hearts. The scriptures use the term holding to a form of godliness but denying the power thereof. Hey, a modern worldview or a postmodern worldview was this apparatus, but there was no life in it because the one who gives life was missing from it. And as our culture moves more and more away from a biblical worldview, we really are declining and careening very quickly. We know this because there's been a lot of research and a lot of scientific studies done on how many people hold a biblical worldview in our in our in our society and in our country. This is the most basic points ever, and it actually misses some really important things. But Barner Research has been conducting surveys on this for the last about the last 20 years. And here's some of the basics that they put forth as these are just the absolute core basics, the, the 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 very foundation, the simplest of the simplest of the true statements that you either accept or reject, and this forms a biblical worldview. Now, important things are missing, like Jesus rising from the dead. That's pretty stinking important, but they leave it out of this. the the concept uh, uh, The concept of a God who exists that to whom whom to whom we must give account at the end of our lives that's missing. That's pretty important as well. And there's a whole host of others. But Barna Research came up with these core points. Number one, absolute moral truth exists. Those of us who have been raised in the church, those of us who are perhaps a little bit older, would say, well, of course, absolute moral truth exists. This means that what is true is true, regardless of situation, regardless of circumstance, regardless of interpretation. There is truth and there is untruth. An absolute moral truth is that which is true for all peoples at all times, in all situations, in all cultures. That has been replaced by a postmodern view that, hey, you have your truth, I have my truth, right? You've got to be true to yourself. You do you, right? You live your life. See, that is antithetical. That is opposite of there is absolute moral truth. There is truth, there is is a right and a wrong for all people, for all times, in all cultural situations, or there is not. We get to decide what is right and when it is right and what is wrong and when it is wrong. So a core foundational truth is that absolute moral truth exists. Secondly, The Bible is totally accurate in all the principles that it teaches. Number three, Satan is a real being or force, not merely symbolic. Number four, a person cannot earn their way into heaven by trying to be good or doing good works. Next, Jesus lived a sinless life on earth. And then lastly, God is the all-knowing, all-powerful creator of the world who still rules the universe today. Those basic things, if those things are answered in the affirmative, you have a, well, you have the beginnings of a biblical worldview. Pretty simple, pretty obvious for those of us who've been in the church But these, every single point of these are rejected by the overwhelming majority of people in our society and in our country today. Recent research, and it was actually just released in February of 2023, shows that among the American population, only 4% of Americans hold this belief system. 96% 96% of the people that we see, that we interact with, that are, that are in our country, our fellow Americans, reject either one or all of these points. There's no moral truth. Jesus sinned. Jesus was flawed. Jesus was fallible. Jesus was just a person. Those are all wrong teachings, by the way. The belief that, yeah, sure, you, you, if, you're, if, if you're simply good enough or desiring in your heart to be good enough, then you're good enough for God's presence. Those are the beliefs held by the majority of people in our society. Now, for those who have rejected a biblical worldview, it, it's usually not the result of conscious rejection, but some do. Those who consciously reject, it's almost always linked to negative personal experiences rather than intellectual reasons. But for the most, it's just simply ignorance, misinformation, or disinterest. Jonathan mentioned a study that came out in 2019 that shows that from Santa Barbara to Salinas, the central coast of California, we have the ninth highest percentage of postmodern uh, people, or post-Christian people, in the United States. We're the highest on the West Coast, beating out the pagan epicenters of Seattle and Tacoma and Portland. What that means, though, is it's not that everybody here is you know sacrificing chickens to Satan or anything like that. It's not what post-Christian means. What it means is that. The 54% of our population have never stepped foot in a church. As kids, they never went to Sunday school. They were never oriented to the stories of the Bible, uh, of the Garden of Eden, of Adam and Eve, uh, of Noah and of Abraham and of Moses and all of those stories. It means that we now have the second and the third generation of kids coming who have never, ever been exposed to biblical principles, biblical truth, biblical teaching. So therefore, it's it's not part of their lives. We're the the ninth highest population in the United States. We're the highest on the West Coast of people who have never had a, a personal experience, personal involvement with a church or with the teachings of Jesus in a way to embrace them. That's the world we find ourselves in. But the same studies are even more horrifying among those who self-identify as Christians or who say they go to church. Now, this is all self-reported. In February of 2023, the results of the American World War Inventory showed only 6% of self-identified Christians, people who say they go to church regularly, as however that may be defined, only 6% hold all six of those core beliefs. That's in the church. Even more horrifying is a survey that was done of 1,000 Christian pastors. Very wide perspective of that. Anything, anything having to do with Christian or Christian-ish, these pastors were interviewed. And of pastors... Only 37% hold all six of those to be truth, absolute moral truth. The Bible is, is basically perfect in what it teaches, that Jesus was sinless. Now, among, among evangelicals, among non-denominational churches like us, the numbers are much better because we actually like, like the Bible, know the Bible, read the Bible. We're, we're, we're doing a lot better We're around around 60% of our pastors, still not great. But this is horrifying. You see, because a biblical worldview is is the the foundation of truth for how to live in a society, in a culture that is antithetical, that is against those truths. An anti-biblical worldview is what leads to a warped and crooked generation, (laughs) And we are called to shine like stars, to live our lives in such a way among those of the wicked and crooked generation that we are to to shine like stars. We do so by believing what the Scriptures say, by believing the Word of God. Now, I said this is part one of two, so we really get into the, the real meaty stuff of our specific things in culture next week. But we've got to remind ourselves Jesus told his very first followers that this world was not their home. The world actually would hate them because the world hates Jesus. Jesus is king. He is coming to a realm ruled by the evil one. Those in the realm ruled by the evil one will reject the new king. But Jesus and his people are the insurgents of a new kingdom, the kingdom of God. And that is who we align with. Jesus clearly warned his disciples of the world's animosity towards them because of him. If the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. If you belong to the world, it would love you as its own. As it is, you do not belong to the world but I have chosen you out of the world. That is why the world hates you. And why does the world hate Jesus so much? Because he is light exposing darkness. And even one of the followers of Jesus, John, writes, but men loved the darkness. They loved their evil deeds. That's their wheelhouse. That's our wheelhouse as humans. Our way, our wants, our needs in our time. Jesus exposes the deeds of darkness and calls for repentance. He is Lord even though we desire autonomy. He is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And I wanted to include a point here because it's essential to realize that while the world hates Jesus, the majority of people, the majority of Americans don't hate Jesus. They're intrigued in him. They're interested in him and authentic, genuine, and articulate disciples can make disciples. Because the fields are ripe unto harvest, as Jesus said. Because of his great love for the world, God the Father sent God the Son into the world to redeem the world. Jesus' redemptive work, the cross, the resurrection, his reigning at the right hand of God the Father in heaven right now, is to be taken to all people in all places. Cultures only change through critical mass and individual conversions and generational faithfulness. There's a lot in that statement. The gospel is for the whole world, for God so loved the world. It does not mean that God so loved the nature, the trees, the sunsets, natural beauty, for God so loved the people in the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. God did not sent His Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through Him. Jesus said right prior to His ascension into heaven, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations." baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. Surely I am with you always, even to the very end of the age. We are in the world, but we are not of the world, but we are for the world. That is what Christians are called to do, to shine like stars among a warped and crooked generation. And just so, we, just so we're clear and just so we we'll are refresh a little bit in our memories, Paul used that language in the first century, 2,000 years ago, basically. That was Paul's description of his generation in his time and his world. But you know where Paul got it from? Paul got it from Moses well over a 1,000 years before. It's from the book of Deuteronomy. That was how God describes that culture and that world of the time. A warped and crooked, a wicked and perverse generation. You see, the the more things change, the more they stay the same. The world is as the world has always been. Now we just have, we have iPhones that make everything so much more accessible. But the world is what the world is. And we are called to live amidst this warped and crooked generation and to shine like stars. That's the challenge of Jesus. That is the challenge of Paul. And that is part of our challenge as well, that we as people who believe in Jesus, as people who worship King Jesus and have given our allegiance to him, we are to shine like stars in this wicked and corrupt generation. No grumbling, no complaining, no hand wringing. Let's get to get to work in the Word of God, doing the work of God in accordance with the will of God. And as we shine forth His light through the tangible difference Jesus makes in our lives, it's through personal character, it's through our personal moral choices that align with Scripture, not society. And yes, it's our good works, genuine good works, not good works to win favor, not to coerce, but just simply because we have a good God who has given us good things. You are the light of the world. Let your light shine before others. So they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. One of the best things about culture becoming darker and darker is that the light will shine brighter and brighter. God's making it easy for us. It's not that hard. As I've always said, being a Christian is not easy, but it is simple. Let's follow the simple things in Scripture to love the Lord our God, to live for Jesus and to love those around us as well.